Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Hey guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. And today we're going to talk about something that's mystified me for my entire life. Since the womb, I remember learning about a strange disease in a faraway place, Papua New Guinea, called Kuru, where people would eat brains and then go crazy. (laughs) I later learned this was Kreutzfeld Jakob, and I learned that during something called the mad cow disease. Now, it turns out a lot of our listeners are British. You guys have all gotten mad cow disease. <laughs> so you know what it's like to be senile. Brexit, am I right? Just kidding. Whoa, political. <laughs> Jesus, that's a that's a long line of silliness right there. But we're going to talk about the thing that causes all these crazy diseases that eat your brains to mush and turn it into like Swiss cheese sponge. It's not viruses. It's not bacteria. It's nothing we would normally categorize as living. Although I guess we don't categorize viruses as living. But anyway, it's not parasites, it's prions. What the fuck are prions? Prions are proteins, which means that, yeah, I would put them on the even less living than viruses. Those protein bars you're eating are going to kill your brain. (laughs) But they're pretty specific proteins in the sense that they're, they're proteins that fold a certain kind of way and that causes certain kinds of problems in our bodies. Although they're still pretty mysterious. They're found in birds and mammals and appear to have some kind of regular function because they're encoded by our genes. They're, they're proteins that we make, but we don't totally know what their regular function is. Entirely super quick recap for all of our most goober listeners, including me. Proteins are like, we make proteins for like fucking basically everything in our body, right? Like proteins do most of the functions of our body. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of the workers of a cell. So this is like the proteins gone wrong. Yeah, from the inside. And they can eat your brain. Yes, they cause spongiform disease, which means that like a sponge with holes in it and everything. Guys, imagine a sponge. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Um, So I think there are really big questions that come from just the idea of an infectious protein disease. So this isn't just a situation where there's a protein causing some kind of problem in your body. That's maybe not so wild. This is one where it's infectious. It can be transferred from one person to another person. But how do they even do that? And fundamentally, what are prions and how are they different from regular proteins? Can you treat them? Right. So all of this stuff, that's going to be in this episode on prions. (laughs) 
Sean, proteins are like the workers of the body. They do everything. It's like, and for a protein to suddenly go bad and naughty like a prion. So just a brief recap for people. We actually talked about this previously, but there's something called the central dogma in biology. Right. Okay. And the idea of the central dogma is that DNA stores the information to build proteins and RNA kind of acts as this intermediary go-between. And God programmed the DNA. <laughs> I missed a step. So. <laughs> but in any case, so the, the end result in a lot of these cases is proteins doing something. And prions are a kind of protein. The prion protein seems to have some kind of job in cells. And it shows up on the surface of cells. Do they do anything? So how we figure out whether or not a protein does something in biology, commonly, we do a couple of things. One of them is to get rid of that protein. And right. You take it away from a mouse. Yeah. And see if it lives or dies. Right. You sick man! Thank <laughs> God! And specifically, what kinds of bad things happen when we take it away? So right? what happens when you take away prions in a mouse? Kind of nothing. Okay. So prions are kind of like that one old guy at the post office. They're wearing a uniform. They're in theory doing something, but boy, they're not helping me at the register. So what I will say is that one of the things about prions is that they get expressed a lot. They show up a lot in certain kinds of cells. One of the big ones is in the nervous system. Okay, a okay. lot of cells in the nervous system. Okay. Huh. And unfortunately, subtle changes to the nervous system of mice, especially in their brain, might not be super apparent to us. Right. They the might... mouse is going through retrograde amnesia every day. Right. And it's licking under its fur, but like we can't tell. It's that. hard for us to know. Right, so right. so it may play some role in what's called neuritogenesis, which is the formation of new dendrites and axons from the cell body of neurons. Those are the connection points between neurons. Okay. And so neuritogenesis isn't making new neurons, but it's making new connections that could be important for things like memory and stuff like that. And your joke about retrograde amnesia, for all we know, maybe these mice do have memory deficits, subtle memory deficits that we have a hard time detecting. This is why we need to do more experiments on people. <laughs> right to your congressman. <laughs> congressman? <laughs> right to your congressperson. <laughs> Change the law. So some more, you know, of these mouse studies where they've deleted the prion protein at different time points and everything, make it seem like maybe it plays a role in preventing neuron cell death, maybe helping with sleep, maybe helping with memory, but all of these effects are pretty subtle, okay, and that we're not seeing, like, mice all of a sudden unable to sleep and flipping out and dying immediately, right? They're really subtle effects. So I think mainly what we can say is that prion protein is on the outside of a lot of the cells in your central and peripheral nervous system, including, you know, your brain, a lot of the neurons, a lot of the helper cells around those neurons called glial cells. It's also expressed on immune cells, particularly innate immune cells. So listen back to our immune system episode. Dendritic cells is a good example. has a lot of prion protein on the outside. And... The evidence right now is when you eat naughty prions, the kinds that give you mad cow disease, like you were saying, when you eat them, the evidence seems to be that it's actually carried by your immune system to lymph nodes and that they sort of go through their amplification or growth process in your lymph nodes first before they go to your brain and cause all the problems that they cause there. So prions are like Rambo. In theory, we need soldiers to fight our glorious wars against communists, but some of them go a little crazy. And then the police, our policemen drag them into town, and then and the Rambo breaks free. 
So what it, turns Prions into Rambo? Is there some point in the Rambo movies where he starts training other commandos to like do terrible things? Because I'd somehow, like, I, well, like, what about copycat killers in real life? Right, copycat so, so, real life Rambo. So that's I think the part of Prion diseases that's so crazy. Is right, the spreading. It's like if there's a group of other prisoners from the Vietnam War, and Rambo was like, "We all gotta break out of here together." <laughs> What does Rambo sound like? Uh, Adrian! Adrian! Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So why are prions weird? Well, prions are proteins, but they aren't just any protein. They're proteins that can infect you and cause a disease. Okay? Which means that they're transmissible between individuals and can mess you up. That is extremely unusual. That's really weird. Because usually with, like, an infectious disease, bacteria are like, I'm going to make more of me. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck. And then there's more of them. But a protein isn't supposed to do any of those things, right? Right. Well, okay. So, for example, some diseases or disorders can be caused by protein toxins and stuff like that. Cholera toxin. That's the main thing that makes you sick from cholera. Right. But cholera toxin doesn't make more of itself. Right. Cholera makes more of itself and then it produces toxin as a side effect. Right. And, you know, some of the more popular hypotheses as to what causes Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease also involves our own proteins going wrong. But we cannot spread those from person to person. What causes Stephen Hawking disease? Because I really don't want that. I want my dick to work. That one's ALS, right? Hey, did his dick work? Because he, like, banged a nurse in the 80s, right? But, like, his di- how, how does his dick work? I, I think it's a progressive disorder, right? So, his like, dick worked a little bit. <laughs> it might have been the last one. <laughs> it took, like, four years for it to get hard. <laughs> it was the last man standing. Um, okay. Yeah, that might not make it. Was it prions? <laughs> no. No, that wasn't a, a prion. hit his dick? <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of different kinds of things that can hurt your body. They don't have to be alive, right? Chemicals can hurt your body. Right. But they don't propagate themselves. They don't make more of themselves. Prions do. And so this kind of harkens back actually to really early experiments in molecular cell biology. In the 1940s, there was an experiment that was done that basically settled the idea that DNA and RNA are the stuff in biology that carries information for inheritance. One of Mangala's only good experiments. (laughs) Just just kidding. So It's all very bad research. (laughs) So it was thought that, okay, once we got that established, things that can infect you and reproduce must have instructions for reproducing. Right. And therefore must have DNA or RNA. And that was true for a very long time. And how back then all Anglo-Saxon scientists had a sex manual under their pillow. Yeah. For whenever they needed to make babies. Sure. They needed instruction. Definitely. So it made sense. They kind of assumed that about life, too. Right. All the way until the 1980s. Mm. Okay. When some people studying a disease in sheep called scrapie isolated the stuff that was infecting other sheep. It could spread from sheep to sheep. Scrapey is definitely an Australian movie. <laughs> that's like a Wallace and Gromit ripoff. It's like, hey, Scrapey! <laughs> Scrapey, get out of it! Scrapey's like, eh. <laughs> it's called Scrapey because the sheep would kind of go crazy and oh, then shit. would scratch themselves against wooden posts and stuff until they were bleeding. Damn. And so that's where it got its name from. Damn. Was like the neurodegeneration causing them to just like rub up against stuff. Until so that's why Scottish people do that, is they're eating the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Scottish Scrapey. Anyway. <laughs> When they looked at the stuff under the microscope, the stuff that seemed to be infecting other sheep, it didn't look like a cell, that was for sure. So it wasn't a bacteria, fungi, or any of that stuff. But maybe it was a virus, right? Because viruses can be smaller than cells. You can't really see them under a normal microscope. In plants, you can even have naked DNA cause disease. 
these things called viroids, okay? So it's totally possible that it was something smaller than the cell. So they took that stuff and they treated it with a lot of chemicals that cause DNA or RNA to degrade. Because if those chemicals actually degraded the DNA or RNA, it shouldn't be able to infect sheep anymore. Right, it can't make more of itself. There's no instructions. Right. Unfortunately, even with that degrading chemical stuff, it still caused disease in sheep. Meaning it was really unlikely to have DNA or RNA be the kind of main driver. Right. It's like a meme online. Don't need instructions, it'll self-propagate. When they treated it with stuff that degrades proteins, that's when they saw a little bit of an effect. So, they sort of hypothesized based on that evidence that it was actually a protein that was infecting these animals. That's fucked. And the science world was not happy. <laughs> so there was a lot of people, there was a lot of fighting about this for a very long time. That's cool. So prions kind of furthered the basic discussion about RNA, the central dogma. Right, right. And it means that at this point, there was at least a protein that carried the information within itself to template its own creation. But how? How does that make any sense? Okay, let's take a break and then we're going to talk about how. Hey guys, this is Nathan and Sean from Petri Dish. We've got a lot of new listeners recently, and first we'd like to thank all of you guys for joining us. We're very happy to have you in the Petri Dish community, and also, we've got a favor to ask from you. Yeah, we would really love it if you guys could head over to podchaser.com or on iTunes or the Google Play Store and leave us a review and a rating so that we can kind of get the word out there. More people will be able to come and listen to our show. Yeah, we're happy that you guys found us, and let's try to get even more people into the Petri Dish fold. Or the Petri Dish, Petri Dish. You know, our show takes a lot of work to put together. We do a lot of research that goes into it. Nathan writes up stuff. Stacy puts in a lot of work producing out all of the garbage that we (laughs) (laughs) record in the first place. And all of that work takes a lot of time and effort. And so we would also appreciate it if you take the next step and head over to patreon.com slash Petri Dish. You can, of course, be a fool and give us like a million dollars a month, but it goes as low as a dollar a month. It was really help us produce the best possible version of Petri Dish. So guys, again, thank you so much for joining us. Ich benign science. Guys, welcome back to Petri Dish. We're going to talk about how these magic, magic folding proteins work. I think the first question, just to remind me and the audience, what is a protein made out of? Like physically, structurally, literally, what is a protein? Yeah, proteins are made up of amino acids. And those amino acids are linked together by the amide bond and so basically they just have a bunch of these amino acids in a row and there's about 20 or so amino acids that get used what bond did you say Uh, an amide bond what's that it's a certain kind of bond between a carboxylic acid and an amine god you're sexy when you talk nonsense anyway uh (laughs) the point is that you have these strings of amino acids that are all put together right you know hundreds to maybe a thousand or so amino acids long okay okay And these get strung together by ribosomes while the ribosome is reading RNA that has the instructions on how to build them. Right, kind of like when they're building an enterprise in an orbiting uh, space station. Sure, those star docks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, except... I don't know why it's like that specifically. (laughs) It's a little bit like ticker tape in that the RNA gets kind of pulled through the ribosome. The Um, fuck is ticker tape? You don't know what ticker tape is? I'm not as blue collar as you, apparently. All right, never mind. Never mind. It's not going <laughs> to no, work. No, tell me. What the fuck is ticker tape? Uh, I mean, I'm sure someone else knows what it is. I think it was used a lot in the stock market. Um, what? For, like, the transmission of information. It was almost like a printer 
that was just constantly printing stock information you out. You neoliberal shell. I'm sorry. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know why we were talking. You probably about voted Bloomberg. It's like not useful. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so the main point that I'm trying to get to is that proteins are made up of these amino acids. Right. They're strings of amino acids kind of all in a row. Yeah. But when they're actually doing the work that they do, the actual shape that they're in is really important. Cool. Okay? It's kind of hard to think about because um, proteins are so small, but even with us physically, what shape we are like directly relates to the kinds of things that we can do. Right. Sean, you're taller than me. You're so is your your penis to be honest, and so it cannot bend the way my small penis can bend. Wow! I, uh, yeah, that's that's taking my notes and putting a lot more dog into it. A lot more spin, spin on it. <laughs> but yes, so if you imagine proteins to be like people with parts that can move around and do things like your arms and your hands and everything like that, different people have different limitations. Okay, and that. Some people are more bendy than others. Michael Moore can't bend a whole lot. Sure, and gymnasts are very bendy, right? And it's the same with proteins in that if you have a specific protein, it has shapes that it can bend into. Those shapes are really important for its job. But if you take a different protein, it'll have different shapes. Right. And that process of going from a string of amino acids into some kind of complicated shape, like a Y shape... Or like a, like a spherical kind of shape, is protein folding. Okay, and protein folding is a very complex process. There's a lot of different shapes that a protein can fold into potentially, but a lot of them don't function properly. Huh. That's fucking weird. Well, so if you think about it, there's a lot of positions that you can exist in. Right, sure, okay. Right, like you can have your arms up in the air, or you can be doing a handstand or something, but... Are they folded just for the sake to save space, or does like the different shapes let them do different things? Right, so the different shapes definitely let them do different things. Okay, cool. But there is kind of this question of how do they, quote-unquote, know how to fold into the right shape. And that's actually not an easy question to answer in general. If you take a string of amino acids and put it into a computer and ask the computer, what shape will this fold into? Computers have a very hard time knowing. Interesting. In that there's a lot of rules that go into it. A lot of stuff happens in the cell. At the same time, proteins are made very quickly. In the matter of seconds, a ribosome can make a protein. Right. Which means it must fold into the correct shape very fast mm. and very efficiently. Well, I think we're lucky in that if the second the computer knows is the second we've lost. <laughs> well, that's actually, you know, the folding at home thing. Right. Yeah. So I have a buddy, Tom Verghese, has won't shut the fuck up about this. <laughs> he says you can fold proteins at home or something and make money or something. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. John, what is he talking about? Well, I don't know if you make any money off of it, but folding at home basically borrows your CPU or GPU, like your video card and stuff like that when you're not using it. So you just have it running in the background and it turns itself off anytime you're playing a game or something. But the rest of the time, it'll kind of turn on and use some of your GPU in order to run simulations on protein folding. Because protein folding, like I said, very complicated. It's extremely hard for even a supercomputer to solve what a string of amino acids will fold into. So folding at home basically takes that string puts it through molecular dynamic simulations. That means it simulates every atom in the string and a bunch of waters hanging around and then having it fold into different kinds of shapes by bumping the atoms together. Really complicated, just like physics shit. How does the simulation know if it's right at all? Right, so there's different ways of kind of scoring 
amino acid shapes. Great. So here's something else I can get a C on. (laughs) Excellent. There's an idea in protein folding about energy minimization. And uh, this is about to get complicated enough that I'm not going to be good at talking about it. But amino acids have different properties. Like I said, about 20 of them that gets used in our proteins. Depending on what amino acids you have where, different amino acids might want to hang out with each other. Certain amino acids want to hide from water because they're hydrophobic. Some amino acids want to hang out in the water because they're hydrophilic. And also because they're linked together in a line, they're holding hands in a single file line. There's only so many ways you can kind of twist it around to maximize it so that as many of them that want to be facing the water can, and as many of them wanting to hide from the water can. Do proteins actually end up folding in real life in maximizing ways? So that's actually really relevant to the prion discussion. Oh! Yeah. Oh! Yeah, that's beautiful, actually. That's probably for the best. We kind of needed to get back to prions at some point. Yeah, so proteins fold in usually what are called local minima. Okay? So if you imagine sort of a landscape that's very hilly, right? There's like a lot of hills and valleys. Yeah. Somewhere in that landscape is the lowest point, the deepest valley somewhere, right? That would hypothetically be the minimum minimum, right? Like the absolute minimum. The River Spey. Is the River Spey the minimum in Scotland? I don't know. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Someone write in. (laughs) Sign up for our Patreon and email Sean what the lowest point in Scotland is. All right. But there's also a bunch of not quite as low valleys, right? All over the place in that landscape. Those are still valleys kind of relative to the nearby hills, right? Those are local minima. And so a protein usually folds into some kind of local minima, but typically not the absolute minima. And one of the reasons is that proteins actually still want to be able to move around some, right? A lot of times their function is not so much that they want to find a place where they can hunker down in like fetal position and never move again. Right. They want to be able to do a job and that's going to involve moving a little bit, moving between a few different shapes right. or something. These are hardworking creatures. Right. Well, and creatures is really the wrong word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're hardworking compounds. And the thing is, is that a lot of times this lowest energy state is one that once you're in it, you're pretty much never going to get out. You're locked in. It's almost crystalline. It's like I was saying... You're terribly depressed and you're you're in fetal position on the floor of your apartment crying. Right, 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 right. AKA Mondays. <laughs> so like, you know. Why, why are your Mondays like that? <laughs> it's, it's bad, dude. <laughs> it's real rough. Mondays are rough for old Sean. But it's really hard to get out of that position. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Sean, just come over. I'm in fetal position. <laughs> I, I can't drive like that. That's Are you not listening to me, Nathan? But that's exactly the point, right? Right. Is in fetal position, you can't drive. You can't do all of these things. Right. You're actually incapable of doing your function. That's what happens with prions. Mm, yeah, let's imagine I walk into the room, you're on fetal position, and I touch you. Instead of rousing you, I'm just like, I need to be in fetal position. Right, right. The depths of my depression causes you to also be depressed. Oh, and shit. And you also get into fetal position. Oh, shit. Okay, and so that is basically what's going on with these prions, is that they are, through one process or another, going from their normal functioning shape into a fetal position, absolute minimum, kind of crystallized form. Right, and like a crystal, it spreads somehow. Right, it seeds the process of crystallizing other prions. Damn. And so basically, they I mean, can you grow. Know, it's also like Jonestown, right, which is like... you. You drink some poison, you're in your low energy state because you're dead. <laughs> and then, like, for whatever reason, everyone else is like, that looks great. 
<laughs> I also want to be in that low energy state of death. <laughs> so, I, th- I think a lot of people at Jonestown wasn't like loving the drinking the poisoned Kool Aid oh, situation. Right. But I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was a rough situation. Yeah. But Whew. they end up packing together. Okay, so the prions, the misfolded crystallized prions will cause other prions nearby to kind of glomp on and also go into fetal position. And this fetal position is extremely stable. There's normally a lot of stuff that can break down proteins, including in cells. Cells need to recycle their proteins sometimes. Unfortunately, these prions become so stable in their fetal position right. that even the own machinery of your cells can't do a very good job of breaking down these proteins. Right. Anymore. A hibernating bear is so deep in sleep, you could rub it, you could smack <laughs> it, you could fuck a hibernating bear, and it won't wake up. Yeah, Try from, it at home, yeah, kids. From Nathan's experience. <laughs> yeah. um, so, one thing I will say is that this fetal position thing and being able to cause some other prions to kind of latch on or whatever is true, but not all of these misfolded prions are necessarily infectious. Okay, there was actually a study that shows that you can have some of these naughty prions form these fibers of people in fetal position, but that the thin single file fibers do not actually infect a new person, or in this case, a new mouse, if you transfer it into a new mouse. You need to have this like specific shape. It's a sort of double-stranded fiber of prions in fetal position in little tiny rods, and that that specific kind of shape acts as a really good seed to be able to infect another mouse. Okay, goddamn. Yeah, it's more complicated than sort of our simple on-ramp to the discussion, but that's kind of the general idea, is that you have these seeds that can cause kind of the crystallization of prions. Why prions and not other proteins? I mean, other proteins fold into funky shapes, right? Like, why would prions specifically be a problem? Yeah, so that's a really good question. It is the case already that we do see proteins be able to do a kind of thing like crystallizing and stuff like that and causing other proteins to stick onto them. So we might talk about this a little bit more later, but we do see that in sort of like the amyloid plaques and tau protein tangles in Alzheimer's disease. We also see it maybe not pathologically in some cases in our bodies with certain kinds of immune signaling. Right. It is not totally clear why prions are infectious forms of this. Right. right. Because it is true. They are not unique when it comes to misfolding, aggregating, causing more aggregation. But the infectious part is so far unique to these prions, almost definitionally, by the way. You call a protein a prion if it can infect other things. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. But so yeah. how the fuck does this kind of this protein in the fetal position mm-hmm. turn into a mass murder of your brain? Right. Like how does a prion turn into mad cow disease? Kreutzfeldt Jakob, your brain is fucking sponge cake. Yeah, so this is actually a really good question. Okay, so one part of the answer is it seems to cause cell death somehow. I mean, basically, you need to go from a normal brain to a spongy brain. There's a bunch of holes in it. Cells must be dying, right? Right. So somehow it's causing cell death. Generally, when you have protein aggregation stuff, like proteins clumping together and forming these just shit clumps of proteins that aren't working, the proteins aren't working. And because usually proteins are important, it's bad to have them not be working, and sometimes that can cause cells to die, okay? Unfortunately, as we previously alluded to, getting rid of prion protein in mice didn't actually seem to cause that many problems. Huh. So it's unlikely that this is the reason why it's pathological. 
another potential reason is that aggregates take up space physically and might kind of gum up the works, right? Okay. It might make it hard to move through and to transport things. It yeah, might make sure. it difficult to get nutrients and stuff like that. Right. And so it is possible that that could be part of the way that it kills cells. Prion aggregates usually start out outside of cells, but seem to have some way of being able to get inside of cells also. Right. And in either case, could take up space and just gum up the works, okay? In either of those situations, these fibery rods of prions seem to be able to interact with cell signaling. Interesting. And some of those signaling pathways seem to be related to cells dying. Now, I don't want to oversell these ideas because it's really actually not that clear right now. Right. What the step is between prions doing their growy thing and spongiform formation. Okay. Right. So original Creutzfeldt-Jakob is a genetic disease. Okay. The one that people were getting from the, the mad cow situation is a variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob that people were getting from eating prions, right? Right. But the original Creutzfeldt-Jakob was a genetic disorder. It was a mutation in prions that made them more likely to misfold. But if it's a genetic situation, then that means that they've had that problem their entire lives. But it wouldn't show up until they were like 60 or 70. Damn. Why? Why did it take so long? They were clearly making prions. The prions were misfolding and making these crystals. Why did it take so long to become spongiform? Mysterious and unclear. Right, no good answer. Right. So, Maybe aliens helped the Mayans build the pyramids. <laughs> Some things you just won't know. My favorite, my favorite theory is 5G. 5G. <laughs> no, uh, so. You know, to, well, to talk about conspiracy theories, the way I visually <laughs> understand this segment is like a single doomsday prepper MAGA guy in his bunker is just in the fetal position. But if you get enough of them together in a street and healthcare workers can't get to the hospital, now we're gumming up the works, right? Like in a physical level. Yeah, yeah, and that's possible. There also seems to be a switch between building up the prion crystals to the prion crystals actually doing something negative to us. One Trump tweet. <laughs> sure, and it activates the network, right? Something like that. So it does seem to be something along those lines. Right. Okay. So, Sean, why the brain, though? Yeah, so that's fair, okay? Because prions, the not fucked up version of prions, is actually expressed all over your body. Okay, at least in multiple organs and cells. But the pathology really shows up in your brain. Like, that's where you get the spongiform shit. And there's some potential reasons. This is, again, one that people haven't, like, super awesomely nailed down. One of the reasons is that neurons are called post-mitotic, which means that they don't divide anymore. And that means that they can't really dilute the shitty prions by splitting into two new cells. Neurons are also really big and long and have to transport proteins to distant parts of their cells. And that means that they might not do a very good job of cleaning up shitty proteins when they're at a low concentration. Right. Because you can imagine that prion crystals might not grow very quickly, except for situations where it's a high concentration. If cells do a good job of keeping things clean, it might not be a problem right away. Right. The last one is that prions are probably coded by the same gene, regardless of where they are in your body. But there's a lot of things that cells can do to a protein after it's made. Right. To make it slightly different. So right. prion protein in your brain might be slightly different in form compared to the one on your immune cells or huh. your spleen or whatever. Interesting. They can do that by slicing off little bits of the protein. They can attach sugars onto the protein. All kinds of what are called post-translational modifications. Right. And that might make the brain one different. And maybe that's why spongiform shows up in the brain specifically shit which is like 
the last place you want it to show up. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, spongy, spongy bottom. I mean, that's that's attractive in parts of in parts of <laughs> South America. Okay, spongy brain though. Even in South America, you don't want that. Nope. <laughs> okay, guys, let's take a break. After that, we're gonna talk about some really weird shit. Sean, what are we do? What is proteopathies again? Pro- proteopathies and prion-like stuff, diseases that have to do with proteins as the causative agent that aren't quite prion diseases. Okay, guys, when we're back, what other proteins can fuck you up? The following is an actual advertisement. Do you want to know things about video games? How about consumer-oriented reviews, honest opinions, hot takes, and predictions? Well, you're listening to the right ad, Introducing the Lit Gaming Arena Podcast Season 2. We bring you two episodes every week. Terminal News, which focuses on all the latest gaming news you'll ever need. And the LGA Cast, where we talk about all the games we're playing and the gaming industry in general. And we do not hold back any punches. We also have the occasional wacky guest. So don't miss out. Subscribe to us today. You can find us on our website, lga.gg, and on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. Again, that's the Lit Gaming Arena podcast at lga.gg. Okay, so let's talk about some other crazy protein shits. You know, my way into this episode again is mad cow disease and Creutzfeldt Jakob because there's a certain a certain beauty to eating brains in my personal mythology. Uh, it's very evocative. Mm-hmm. But then I saw in the notes just shit like Parkinson's might be similar to prion diseases. What's going on, baby? Right. So the key aspect of prions is that they're proteins that do this aggregation, propagation-y shit and are infectious between individuals. But there are other proteins that can do kind of half of that, the aggregate part, that can kind of grow in the same crystally type way. There's just not evidence of it jumping from person to person. Right. Okay. And so Parkinson's disease, multiple system atrophy, dementia with Lewy bodies, Alzheimer's disease, all of these are thought to involve some kind of progressive protein aggregation that's cool the growth of these clumps of protein why the fuck if a protein could aggregate would it not be transmissible so some of it might have to do with access being able to get to that part of your body without being destroyed at some point or cleared i mean but the prion's gonna get to the brain isn't the brain a high security vault well so i mean, I, I will say i do think it is interesting and bizarre that prions can do it I, I think it's a bigger thing of, I wonder why prions are uniquely able to do this, because there's so many defenses in place. If you ate something that had Alzheimer's plaques in it, for some reason, yeah, probably almost all of it would get digested in your stomach and intestines. Right. You wouldn't absorb almost any of it. If some of it did somehow manage to get into your bloodstream, it right. would probably get taken up by immune cells and cleared out. Basically, I think it is interesting and strange that prions are able to get into the brain. And some of that does seem to be related to the fact that they seem to be able to kind of hitchhike on immune cells to lymph nodes and then grow in lymph nodes. That seems like a really important step of their infectious behavior. Fucking smartest not-life thing ever. It's like all the characters from Oceans 12 and 13. It's like there's no life in them, but they're uh, (laughs) capable of these amazing heists. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Um... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I listed off a bunch of diseases, right? But actually, there are some prion-like stuff that isn't bad, necessarily. 
like kind of a good creative uses of prions in nature. So in yeast, prion proteins seem to actually be used to transmit heritable information, almost like DNA or RNA. Like it actually transmits stuff to the children yeast. Yeast, yeast make children by dividing, right? But basically they'll build up some of these prion aggregates in their cell body and then divide in two and basically their kids will now have those prion bodies. Dear God. But in yeast, those prions are able to convert back and forth between their crystallized form and their actual functional form. Well, how are they even a prion then? I thought a prion gone to its lowest energy state and then was like stuck as a... Oh, I guess I guess definition that's not right because you told me prions were like on... Like disease worthy prion is a fucked prion. But you can have not fucked prions. Yes, yes. And in this case, I think the broadest, most accurate definition of a prion is a protein infectious agent. Okay. So technically, it does not need to be one that's locked into the shitty position. It could be something that can transmit back and forth, right? Now, we wouldn't think of that as a disease, per se, if it could go back and forth really easily. In yeast, they're not using it as a disease, or it's, it's not a disease in yeast. It's actually a way of them giving information to their kids. Okay, cool. It's some kind of functional protein that they can pass on in a kind of astonishing heresy to the central dogma and a kind of extreme form of epigenetics. And, you know, so that's really bizarre, but it's in yeast. So, like, whatever, right? Right. In humans, there's a protein called MAVS, and MAVS is a part of antiviral response in mammalian cells. And it seems like it's able to switch between a sort of free-floating functional form and this kind of crystal aggregate form. And it's not really clear what that does exactly for immune responses. It seems like in extreme immune responses, it goes into this crystal form, and maybe that has something to do with its function now. Not totally clear. But the point is that there's this growing field of research that's basically asking the question of whether there's a lot of actually prion-like stuff that has this ability to crystallize and form these kind of clumps and things like that. And maybe it's just the functional form of that is it's dynamic. Sometimes it'll turn into kind of a crystally form. Sometimes it'll be in a free form. And that prions are just an extreme shitty example of that. And that's why we sort of discovered them first. I don't like this stuff. It reminds <laughs> me of democratic socialists trying to find nuance in an evil idea system. Sean. Tell me about how we can stop these prions. I don't want to research them. I want to stamp them out. Right, okay. So you want to cure, like, Kreutzfeld Yakov or Scrapey in sheep? I mean, traditionally, I've always just shot the people with it. But I would like to save a God few. Damn. Jesus. <laughs> these are human beings. Um, <laughs> no, they're not. They're playthings. You son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> I'm like Christopher Waltz. <laughs> You're terrible. The hunt. <laughs> Quibby. Please give us money. Holy shit. <laughs> okay. Can we treat these diseases? that are caused by prions. No. Wow, okay. End of segment. Yeah. <laughs> no, so Damn. Um, we just have supportive treatments right now. And it's not like we don't have any ideas. What does supportive treatment even mean? Just like you help them on the way to death? Yes. Wow, that's a, I guess that's everything always for everybody in a way though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are certain kinds of diseases where you can't really do anything that actively fights the disease. You right. can just let the body either sort it out or not sort it out. I took aspirin this morning. In a way, that's a supportive disease because <laughs> I'm dying <laughs> and I'm not going to cure headaches anytime soon. So we, we do have some ideas, though. Okay, okay, cool. One of the ideas is to outcompete the prions. Because mm. okay? the idea is that naughty prions will end up kind of collecting normal prions and then 
sort of turning them naughty. But what if we could help spruce up our normal prions to beat up the naughty prions? Or what if we just bind them up first? Uh, okay, cool. What if we buy up all of the normal prions so that there's none available for ah, the naughty Ah, like prions? when the federal government bought up ventilators from states. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly like that. Um, <laughs> Don't want those naughty liberals breathing. And so in this case, researchers made something that they called anti-prions in that they actually function almost exactly the same as the shitty kind of prions. They are almost the same amino acids. They're a protein. They bind onto normal prions. They form these little crystally things. So basically, this way we can take credit for killing people <laughs> when they turn into spongy form brain stuff. Well, what's amazing is that even though it behaves so similar, right, it still forms these little crystal aggregates. It does not cause spongiform disease. Why? Yeah. <laughs> that is right. Man, I'm just going to be Catholic. <laughs> I'm sick of your shit. <laughs> well, so... The Pope's going to tell me why. This is further evidence that different strains of prions can be more or less deadly. And it does seem like there's at least one strain that doesn't kill you at all. This one that they developed into the anti-prion thing. This worked in mice. So I don't know if they're going to try it in people. It's a kind of hard sell to be like, hey, we think you have this prion disease and we're going to inject you with another prion. Like, I heard you like prions, dog. Here's prions to stop your prions. That should be a deal Congress makes to expand voted by mail. What? It's like, it's like, Democrats, do you want to vote by mail? Yeah, Yo, you have to try this prion thing. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that way it's a win-win. We win this election so we can redo the census and sure people get a degenerative brain disease, but hey, we got the census for the next 10 years. Wow, you are sick. <laughs> anyway, so that's one idea. Outcompete the prions. The other good one is hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I was actually reading a paper today. No, not today. Yesterday about cancer research. Yeah. And hydroxychloroquine came up. And I was like, this fucking This, this fucking, fucking drug. shit. <laughs> this anyway. Fucking okay. Another option is to stabilize the prion fibers. This is counterintuitive. Okay. Yeah, I thought they were already too stable. Right. So what happens in the growth of these prion crystal fibery things is at some point they break. Because when these fibers are growing, they kind of grow on the ends. Okay, so if you imagine sort of like a, a string, and then you're just kind of adding stuff onto the ends of the string. Yeah. If you cut that string in half, hey, you got new ends to attach to. Okay. You can grow faster, right? And that's actually what happens with these normal prion crystals is every once in a while, they'll fracture. That'll expose new ends for more growth to happen. And that's one of the ways that they start growing super quickly is through this growth fracture process. Cool. What if we can stop the fracturing from happening? That should slow down their growth a lot. It should change their growth from being exponential to being linear, which, given that some prion diseases take decades to show up, might just make it so that they take so long they never show up. I'm just so happy you didn't say logarithmic, because then we were going to have to go into the fact <laughs> that I don't remember what he told me last time. You remember exponential, but logarithmic doesn't mean anything to Exponential's you? Exponential's easy. Two squared is four. <laughs> Holy <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Are we doing anything useful here with this podcast, do you think? <laughs> You're educating me. Okay. <laughs> so, so the idea here, like I said, a little counterintuitive, but by stabilizing the fibers, we might be able to make it so that their growth is actually slower. Cool. Okay? And then the last potential avenue that we can go on would have to do with this mystery of toxicity that we were talking about. Why is it that you can have these 
prion crystals growing and everything like that. No toxicity, no splendor form stuff. And then suddenly you flip a switch and then now you have splendor form disease. Your brain is sponge. Right. What happened? There must be something biologically speaking that's going on, right? Or metaphysical, but we'll, we'll <laughs> let you have this one, scientist. <laughs> yeah, well, if it's metaphysical, we have no options here. Well, we except to... prayer and thoughts. We already do it, Nathan. <laughs> we, we already, already do, do it. it. We already <laughs> do it. <laughs> so, the, um, is there something in that switch process that we can treat instead? Can we ignore the prion crystal part and then just try to stop it from causing toxicity? Right. That requires a lot more studying that is going on right now, trying to figure out what exactly is that switch. But maybe there's a way then that we can use small molecule drugs to interfere with just that part. Okay, And then that might actually be one of the faster ways and easier ways to deal with it because the prion crystal itself, like we were talking about, it's really sturdy. It's got all these kind of aspects of it that make it very hard for us to deal with. So maybe treating it on the other end, the actual toxicity side, is the one that will be more successful. Damn. I have a super quick, maybe it's even random, but how many types of prions can there be? Is it the same as proteins or is just like a kabillion permutations of prions that could exist? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not totally clear but in in terms of prions that infect people we're talking more along the lines of like maybe a dozen variants or something like that right okay because it's more or less one protein with some different mutations here and there right one uniquely sexy fetal position yeah but if i remember correctly the sort of prion like proteins like the one in yeast and stuff like that i think those are different evolutionarily from the prions that cause problems in people and birds, sheep, cows, all, you know, a bunch of animals, the prions that cause problems in them are genetically related. It's the, it's the same prion protein. Damn. With just different mutations because it's in different animals, different mutations in people. So I think it's not infinite, but it's still it's more than a couple. I mean, it's an interesting subject, right? Because you know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. For future generations, this pod's recorded in the middle of a pandemic. Nice. But we're in the middle of a pandemic that kind of is respiratory. And so, or maybe, I don't know, maybe causes blood clots too. I don't know. It's, COVID is an emerging novel disease. But it's important to remember that like this current pandemic is the byproduct of prions because they spongify people's brains and then they voted for Donald Trump. Oh, no. so, so it's important to go back to the basics to look at the roots and not the symptoms of a problem and the roots are spongy republican brains Fuck. misinformation <laughs> and Whoa. politics wow Whoa. that's a <laughs> out of nowhere that's a hot one-two punch right there okay well, let's have an alternate end <laughs> i think prions are a really cool on-ramp onto the discussion in general of like protein folding and how important that is and then also just like how weird biology is you know what i right. mean like if, if you would ask people in the 60s and 70s if they thought that a protein could infect anybody they would have said they'd, hell no well they'd be too busy listening to Jimi hendrix smoking doobies and fucking in mud orgies <laughs> but then they would look up <laughs> yeah and with the third time you ask and be like no right right and the so, central dogma this turns out to be a much more complicated thing than you know i, I mean it's not entirely surprising the central dogma's only existed for 60, 70 years. Of course, it's gotten complicated over time. Dogmas always do. Right. But, you know, like as prions were discovered in, I think, like 82, it still took 
over a decade for the hypothesis to really get cemented as like the most likely option. It took a very long time for people to be convinced because it is such a bizarre idea. And maybe I'm wrong. So I'm actually genuinely curious, but I always kind of assume that this research is very much stop and go based on whether there's a big disease or not. Because there's probably more funding, right? Sure, yeah. I do think that there was a relatively consistent amount of sort of like lower level research. Right, because there's a fascination about it. Yeah, and it still caused Scrapey, right? And, right. and Scrapey was something that you could see kind of like... Can't be fucking with sheep. Right. Okay, the yes. University of Edinburgh had like an amazing <laughs> prion research center. But it is definitely true that there was a really huge explosion of interest with mad cow disease. That, Can't that fuck with our stuff. cows. Okay, like sheep is one thing, but fucking cows. Right, and there were a good number of people who died in the United Kingdom. Right. From this variant Creutzfeldt Jakob disease from eating cow meat. Right. And yeah, that definitely was a cause for alarm. There is something kind of like weirdly eerie and uncanny about a disease that's caused by something so completely unliving. Right. Whereas like even bacteria, even viruses, you can kind of anthropomorphize. Right. Right. Like, you can see the viral phage. This is a visual format. Onto an outside cell and like bam, penetrate poop into its stuff. And you yeah. can like imagine that and you can imagine little little aliens up in the little phage craft. Yeah. But like prions are just like, what the fuck? It's just like if a rock suddenly hit another rock and the rock had cancer. It's like really weird. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that happens at the interface between living and unliving things. Right. Stuff like the growth of crystals or what you know, you can go on YouTube and see like crystals forming and stuff, be like, oh so beautiful. I don't like synthwave that much. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what's happening here. It's just they happen to be biological crystals. And so that can fuck us up. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's basically what's happening. It's easy to forget that like this luscious body that is Sean is actually a biological construct. Yeah. Many little things happening to make you so sexy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's thank Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Brian Allen for art. Yes. And thank you, listeners. I hope that if you have a chance, you can go on to Podchaser or Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. It really helps. This was a great fucking episode. You review <laughs> us. You give us five... Four, five stars. <laughs> uh, you can also toss us a buck a month at patreon.com slash petri dish. And you can email us at petri dish pod at gmail.com. What, Nathan? If you hated this episode, don't retaliate by giving us one star. <laughs> yes. Okay, you don't actually have to review us. Just please do. Just don't give us one star. Oh my God, what have I done? I'm freaking out here. I'm freaking out. Yes, that's a great way to end this episode. We need to turn the AC. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.